Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. Uh, We are in the book of Numbers, and we'll be diving into our second theme in just a moment. Before we do, just a few logistical matters uh, to get out of the way. First, I just want to remind you uh, that the vast majority of things that I say and the way I organize this material comes from the excellent book, What the Old Testament Authors Really Cared About. The editor for that book is Jason Derushi. We've got a link to that book on our website. It is excellent, approachable, highly encourage you guys to pick that up. Second thing is, uh, we do have a website, and we are hard at work. And by we, I mean my wife, who does the vast majority of the work around here. Uh, she is hard at work organizing these episodes by book, by theme, uh, to make a really great website for you guys to check out and hopefully share with a few folks, uh, maybe some people who are just getting started on a Bible reading plan or new to the faith or just want to encourage them, would love for you guys to send and share. Uh, So with that being said, let's jump in. Let's look at our second theme in this book. The author of Numbers explained how Israel responded to God's gracious presence. Let's talk about this idea of God's presence for Israel. One of the big themes of the entire Bible, and therefore obviously Numbers as well, is the fact that God is good and it is good to be with God. God is with his people to deliver them. He loves them. He sustains them. He disciplines them. He guides them. It is amazing to get to be in the presence of God. And God is with his people because he loves them. Not because he has to be, because he wants to be. The high priest Aaron prays a prayer over Israel in Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26. You've probably heard this prayer before. And if you haven't, you're in for a treat because this is absolutely beautiful. And this prayer really expresses God's affection for Israel. Aaron and every high priest after him was to pray, the Lord bless you, the nation, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Those two phrases, face to shine upon you, lift his countenance upon you. This gives us the idea of like God smiling down at us, that God, like a father watching his children play Like a husband looking at his wife, like is just beaming, looking at his people. He delights in his people. He loves them more than they love him. And the same is true for us. It's amazing. But God loves us way more than we love him. God even says he's going to put his name on Israel. They shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Realize what what a huge risk, for lack of a better term, this is for God, right? Like these are not a, a mighty people. These are not a wealthy people. These are not a particularly obedient people. And if God puts his name on them and they mess this up, then God's name will be disgraced in all the world. But God says, I love them. And I want people to know these are Yahweh's people. They're my people. I'm their God. Right? This is God's desire. He wants to be amongst his people. He wants to give them peace. He wants to give them security. He wants to give them joy. And that is the beauty of being in God's presence. But... If you've read Numbers, you know that Israel quickly forgets. They don't forget that God is there, but they just act as if he's not. They act as if his presence is worthless. right? But the the danger of that is the same powerful arm that can work deliverance can also be turned against us in discipline. In Numbers 11.23, as the people are grumbling and complaining, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Uh, I'm sorry, am I not the same God that rescued you from Egypt? You don't think I can do this? 
In the Numbers 14.11, the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? And so God has to get their attention. He's going to be amongst them. And if they will not submit to him and enjoy him, then he will be amongst them to discipline them. But despite their failures to believe, despite or perhaps because of God's intention to discipline his people, God can say, truly as I live and all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. God's plan of redemption, God's plan of his glory getting to the earth is not dependent on our obedience. God is the star of this show. What happens when we disobey is not that God's plan is derailed and God's up in heaven like, all right, got to go on to plan C, plan D, plan E. I mean, just how many letters you got. We, got, we need a lot of plans here. But no, we miss out. We miss out on the joy of being a part of God's plan. His presence is going to be with his people. The choice we have to make is will we submit to him and therefore his presence will be a presence of joy or will we shake our fist at him and he will be amongst us as a consuming fire. God warns them as they're about to go into the promised land in Numbers 35, 34. He says, you shall not defile the land in which you live. Why? Because that's where I live in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. There's a a moment of testing in the book of Exodus. The people have made the golden calf and God says to Moses, I'm going to destroy the people. And Moses prays and God answers his prayer and says, okay, you can go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses falls to his knees and begs God, go with us, please. If you're not with us, we're nothing. We have to have you. You being with us is what makes us who we are. Moses understands that gaining the promised land without God's presence would miss the point. Because Israel's redemption was for relationship, not real estate. Like God wasn't just freeing them to move them from one real estate location, Egypt, to put them in another, Canaan. He was freeing them for relationship. Psalm 44, 3, For not by their own sword did they, the conquest generation, did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. God wanted to deliver his people so that they could be free to enjoy him. Now, I said to you that God's presence is, in many ways, a massive theme in all of Scripture. So just for a moment, step back from the narrative of numbers and and think about what it means to be in God's presence. Simply put, God's greatest gift to his people is himself. That's what Adam and Eve forfeited in the garden. They could no longer safely be in the presence of God. That's what Jesus came to restore to us as he is God in the flesh. And that's where all of history is headed, God's people living with him forever in the new creation. So what makes God's presence so special? Well, being in the presence of God is the only way to experience true joy, true peace, and true lasting satisfaction. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 1611. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist confesses to God and says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The reason I love that verse so much is if you're tempted to sin, Sin does not tempt you by telling you about all the terrible things that will come into your life. If you succumb, sin promises to make you happy. But if you remember and if you believe that being in God's presence, which you can't come into God's presence, arms full of sin, trying to have God and sin at the same time, that God promises to make you completely joyful, fullness of joy. And not just joyful for a moment, as sin offers fleeting, temporary pleasure, but rather eternal pleasure. 
And think about what a comfort this is if God calls us to suffer for the sake of his name. Like, yes, it, it would hurt to lose my family. It would hurt to lose my friends. It would hurt to be tortured and thrown into prison as many of our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing every day. It would hurt to be killed for the name of Christ as countless, countless millions of Christians have experienced over the last 2,000 years. But every single believer who died opened their eyes to discover the truth that being with God, being in his presence is the ultimate joy and the ultimate pleasure. And we don't have to wait till after we die to experience that. Jesus sends us out with a great commission, but he promises to be with us. He opens the great commission by reminding us that he has all authority and he gives us our marching orders, but then he ends it by saying, I am with you always to strengthen you, to guide you, to comfort you, to bless you. Friends, don't ever grow dull to the wonder of God's presence with us. That is the very thing that the Exodus generation did, and they lost everything because of it. Now, to step back in the numbers, we talk about the presence of God. God's not merely present among Israel. Numbers also shows us God's fatherhood of Israel. He's not just there passing through like a tourist. He's present among them as their father. And Israel, as we well know from reading this book, as we know from reading the Old Testament, Israel is a child very prone to rebellion. But God's parenting was merciful and just. A couple of verses from Deuteronomy make this point. Deuteronomy 1, 31 and 32, Moses says, In the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God has carried them here. And then Deuteronomy 8, 5 says, Know then in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Right? We, we see in this story that Moses tells us, as he is recounting the story of Israel up to this point to the conquest generation, reminding them of the failures of the generation that came before them. This is the framework of Israel's story. We see Israel resenting God's rule and his leader's authority. We see this chronic attraction to idolatry. We see fearfulness and divisions. And we see God judge individuals, and we see God judge the nation collectively. In many ways, this is our story. We resent God's rule. We have this chronic attraction to idolatry, and we are often fearful and so quick to divide against one another, and we will suffer discipline. Now, we will not suffer God's wrath. We will not be cast off forever because Jesus experienced that for us, but we will experience discipline. God is going to deal with his wayward people, but for Israel, the nation of Israel, being in God's presence had to be a part of their national life. God will not be mocked. He cannot be ignored. So we see in Numbers how the people of Israel are organized, literally organized around the presence of God. Since God is faithful and since he's present and since he's present among Israel as their father and since Israel is constantly rebelling, God's discipline in some ways of Israel was inevitable. Right? I mean, all those factors together, like God's presence, God's faithfulness, Israel's sin, God's presence as a faithful father, well, discipline is inevitable. And discipline, in many ways, is inevitable in our life. So again, let's kind of step out of the narrative of numbers and let's think about God's discipline. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament uses the story that we read in numbers about Israel's wilderness failures to challenge the church to persevere. He said, Let us, us Christians, therefore strive to enter the rest that Jesus offers us so that no one may fall by that same sort of disobedience that we read about in Numbers. 
Now, friends, it would be a mistake for me to say that every time we suffer, we're suffering because of our sin or that God is disciplining us for our sin. That is not what Scripture teaches, and that is not what I'm going to say to you. But some of our suffering is because of our sin. And we need to be walking with the Lord. We need to be seeking godly counsel. We need to be praying and asking God to show us, like, Lord, am I doing something? Like, if, if this keeps going wrong and keeps blowing up in my face, like, I don't, I don't want to be fearful and quit, but am I sinning? Is there something in my life that you're trying to get my attention for? That, that's a healthy way to respond to suffering. And in suffering, if we feel that the Lord is showing us, yes, there's something I'm trying to pry away from your hand, but you're not listening We're called to recognize that God, our Father, is disciplining us. And we're also called to recognize that fatherly discipline from our perfect Heavenly Father, who always disciplines in just the right way, at just the right time, at just the right amount, it will lead to good in our life. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11 says, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. And we all had centers for fathers. My boys have a center for a father. And we we don't do discipline well or right often. That may be your experience as well. But we want to understand that, yes, earthly fathers, they're doing what they think is best, but God disciplines us for our good. And he's always right about what our good is, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To help Israel learn the lesson, as we step back into the narrative of Numbers, to learn the lesson of the importance of keeping God in the center of your life and following him, God gave Israel some very easy to understand visual symbols. As you look at a map of the camp of the Israelites, think of a bullseye. In the very dead center of the bullseye is the tabernacle. And in the very dead center of the tabernacle is the Holy of Holies. So in, in almost the geometric, literal dead center of the camp is God. And God's kind of saying, hello, you get the message? I'm at the center of everything. I'm in the middle of everything, right? The Levites were the next ring out from this inner circle of the tabernacle. And their job was to keep the people away from the tabernacle when they were in impure state. And violators would be executed. Israel's past infidelity, particularly with the golden calf episode, not too far in the distant past at this point, showed that the entire covenant could be jeopardized through covenant failure. Like every, we, we, we could have died back in Exodus 32, but we didn't. Let's not take that chance again. God's presence has to be taken seriously. And the camp design helped focus their minds on that fact. Right, so there's three concentric circles of sacred space. Right, God's presence in the middle, radiating blessing first to the priests, then out to the people. And this layout of the camp celebrated the intense presence of God that's accessible to everyone, but in varying degrees. And there's a message there for us. God's going to dwell with Israel, but he also goes before Israel. He goes before Israel as a warrior, fighting their battles, driving out their enemies, but also as a guide. They've never been the way they're going. They don't know where they're going. And so God says, follow me and I'll get you there. Israel's king is going to secure their victory so long as they obeyed him. When the glory cloud lifts up, the people had to follow. That's what we read in Numbers 9, 16 through 18. When they would camp, as long as the glory cloud didn't move, they would stay there. When the glory cloud raised up, pack up, it's time to go. Israel enjoyed the presence of Yahweh while the structure of the camp provided this compass for the people to remind them to look in, to focus on God above all else. And so long as they stayed aligned with God's commands, they would walk rightly and enjoy God's blessing. Seems simple enough. 
But we know that that is not the case for Israel or for us. And in our next episode, Lord willing, we're going to look at how Israel rejects Moses and therefore rejects God. But for now, take up a read, my friends. God bless. God bless.